Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. So let me give you a recap of last week's sermon. It was the beginning of our new series called If Christ is My Lord. And the question that I wanted to ask myself, and I, I've been on this kind of really thinking about this question of is if Christ is he truly my Lord or is he just like a life coach? Is he just kind of like in the same way I have someone that I consider a financial advisor? Is he just that but for the rest of my life? Or is he truly my Lord? And, and I asked myself the question, shouldn't there be some ways in which I look different than some other people who are 30-year-old guys living in Texas who, have a, who are married but Jesus isn't a part of their life. Shouldn't we have some differences? Shouldn't we not get, I shouldn't get quite as worked up about the Cowboys as that guy, right? I shouldn't get quite as worked up about the stock market as that guy, right? You, you following me? If Christ is really my Lord, we should be a little different. Not completely different. We should still be in the world, but there should be some differences. And so there were two things I mentioned last week. When, we, when I say this word, Christ is my Lord, I have two things in mind. First is the idea that to be a disciple of a master teacher is not just, oh yeah, I like that guy. I follow him like I follow that person on Instagram or Twitter. Oh yeah, I follow them. No, I am truly with them all the time. What they eat, I eat. Where they sleep, I sleep. What they say, I say. How they walk, I walk. And here's a great quote from Willard that I used last week. Whenever we ask ourselves, is Christ truly the Lord of my life? He has this quote where he says, The greatest issue facing the world today, with all its heartbreaking needs, is whether those who, by profession or culture, are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from Him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. The disciples, there's a great line in Matthew where they say to Jesus, how should we pray? Or maybe it's in Luke. Teach us how to pray. They're following him along. And guess what? The way they're going to pray is because they watch the teacher teach them how to pray. How should we, should we pay our taxes to Caesar? Now that was, the, they're trying to trap him. Not the disciples, but the Pharisees. But they're asking these questions as they're going through life with him, following him as the master teacher. And the second half of that was the idea that part of saying Christ is my Lord is that we become servants of a king. Even though we don't like to feel ruled by anyone, part of being a follower of Jesus is willing to say, I am going to be subservient to you being my ruler and king. And there's no better person to be our ruler and king than someone who, as we saw in Philippians, says he didn't consider being with God something to be held onto, but he emptied himself and became a servant. So we are a servant of the server. We are a servant following the king who leads us as a person who washes feet. So I have two kind of main things that we're going to talk about today that I still consider kind of an introductory thing. And before I get there, I've got a picture for you um, to, and a little story. So I've mentioned this before, but when I was a youth minister in 2018, we went on wilderness trek with our youth group. And this is a picture from the trip. This was as we were coming down the summit of the mountain. And one of the things that happens when you get to trek the very first night is they give you your tent and all your stuff and you camp at the campsite so that you can practice 
this setting up your stuff before you're out in the wilderness. And what they do is they take away your cell phone and with a bunch of teenagers, they take away your cell phone and they take away your watches. And you're probably thinking, why on earth do they take away your watch? What they want to do is take away anything that gives you any sense that you are in control of what's going to happen. When you have your time, you kind of have an idea like, oh man, it's 10 a.m. We're going to have lunch soon, I guess. Nope, you don't know it's 10 a.m. You have no idea what time it is because you have two guides. Usually it's a guy and a girl, college student, who are guiding you to the summit. And when they say, it's time for, everybody, it's time for us to go to bed, you go to bed. When they say, hey, everybody, we're going down this path, you go down that path. You don't have your GPS. You don't have any kind of bearing. All you have is them to guide you on where to go, when to wake up, when to sleep. On the day we actually summited, because our summit day was a pretty long day from our high camp to the summit, they actually woke us up at like 3.30 a.m. But none of us knew that. None of, us, none of the kids were like, oh, it's 3.30. As far as we knew, it was just early in the morning. And we had lunch at 8 a.m. None of us knew that. As far as we knew, it was like, all right, we've been hiking for like four hours. It's time to eat lunch. By the time we got back, it was 5 p.m. So from 3 a.m. to 5 p.m., we had been hiking. But we didn't know how long it had been because we were just following them, trusting in them to tell us when to go to bed, when to wake up, where to go. So the question that, the reason I show this picture is because on the day that we made it to the summit, I remember we're on the summit, we're having this great experience. And by the way, I'm, I'm afraid of heights, so it was a very stressful day for me. I'm, I was very, lots of adrenaline coursing through my body. And I remember we're coming down, and the girl guide and the guy guide do this thing where they look at each other, and they're like, yeah, I see it too. And of course, I'm like, what do you see? You know, They see some clouds coming, right? And it's really not safe to be on the summit of a mountain when there's like a thunderstorm. And so, instead of going down the way we came, they have to take us down a faster, steeper way. Okay? And as you can see from this picture, you know, there's, right now this is kind of a ridge. You can kind of tell that you can't actually see, you know, down the other side. And as a person who's afraid of heights, I remember we're walking and we're coming close to an area where, you know, standing on my tiptoes, I cannot see where that's going. And without making a big scene, I walked up to the girl in the front and I said... We've got about 12 high school kids here that I've got to get home. Are you sure that there is a path on that other side? And she was like, yes, I'm sure. But I had to, because I don't have any control, I don't know where we're going, I don't know the correct way, I just know it's not the way we came up, I have to trust that she is not going to lead us off a cliff. Okay? Right? So... The biggest thing that I want us to consider and think about as we go through this sermon today is, will I trust that Christ as my Lord is better than blank as my Lord? Because there are going to be tons of things that are vying for your following, vying for your attention, saying, trust me, follow me. And in order for us to truly consider Christ our Lord, we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to trust that Christ is worth following and surrendering to. I considered a lot of different passages. The Psalms talk a ton about trust. The prophets talk a lot about, hey, I know it looks bleak, but trust. But I've, I've, I'm going to turn to Matthew. If you want to go in your Bible to Matthew 6, we're going to do two things. First, we're going to talk about the question, am I willing to trust Christ as my Lord? 
And then the second thing we're going to talk about is the opposite side of that coin, which is that we have to stop trusting things that aren't Christ to be our Lord in our life. Does that make sense? Will I trust Christ as my Lord, and will I stop caring about all these other things, trying to convince us to follow them as our Lord? So Matthew 6, from the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. I think this is hard for me to relate to because I haven't spent any days of my life wondering if I'm going to eat or drink that day or if I'm going to have clothes to wear. But there are people that Jesus is preaching to who do. And so this may not, you may not be able to relate to this as far as eating and drinking. Uh, Some of you here might. You might have gone through days where you're like, I don't know if we're going to eat today. But we have other things that we go through each day where we worry, I don't know if I'm going to have this that we need or I'm going to have that that I need. So you may not relate to the clothing or food and drink, but you can relate, We, I can relate to lots of things where I go through the day going, man, I hope we have this. I, I need this. I need this to happen. And I'll worry about it. Is, life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I have tested that, and uh, we'll see, because <laughs> I've worried quite a bit. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. They don't get, you know, spin, uh, you know, thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear or what we would say. You know, come to Wednesday night class, we can think of what we might say. We might stress about other things um, that... Oh, or is this is this going to happen with you know the stock market? Is this going to happen with the election? Is this? Don't go around worrying. Your father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Uh, you know, let me let me say something real quick before I move on. This is probably the part that I like the most here in verse thirty-two. He says, "Don't worry about these things because the people who have other lords." who have lordships to pagan gods, they run after these things. But you don't have to... You aren't following those pagan gods. They aren't your lord. So you shouldn't be worrying about these things. Therefore, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow has... Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I think the, the reason I picked that passage is because I know of all the things that I feel like I am bad at, the fact that I worry so much about how things are going to turn out, in my opinion, is a con- constant proof that I'm not trusting that God as my Lord will make sure I have what I need. Do I trust that if I surrender to Him, He's going to give me what I need for each day? Another passage that came to my mind that I think is really important is from John 10, 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks and the flock, the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep 
and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Going back to the trek illustration, you can just see if we are the sheep in this illustration, part of being a flock is being willing to go, I trust that that shepherd is doing what's good for me. Now, I maybe should have asked some of the ranchers in here to help me out with this, but I have never done ranching before. But I'm guessing with cattle, there are times where you have to give them medications, right? Things that are good for them, right? Okay, I was going to say, I don't know this, so if you're a rancher and you're like, that's not right, you know, let me know. But you get them into a chute sometimes, and you stick them with needles, right? And those cows, that cattle, they do not enjoy the process, correct? But why do you do it? Because it's good for them, right? And we go through plenty of things where... Just like a rancher looks at the cattle and is like, why are they going that way? Don't they know I'm trying to lead them to the water? Don't they know I'm trying to lead them to a place where they can eat? Don't they know I'm trying to do this so that they will have a better life? And constantly, of course, those stubborn cows, they don't, you know? Those stubborn sheep, they don't. And we are like that. You know, we often don't think, you know, God, I know you're telling me, you're calling me to do this, but that doesn't really look like where I should go. God, you're calling me to Nineveh? I don't know. Have you seen Nineveh? I probably shouldn't go that way. And God is constantly trying to say, hey, listen, if you trust me, I am the good shepherd. And you know, I'm not just one of those shepherds who's going to leave you, and then whenever the enemy comes, I will flee and run away. I'm going to lead you, and whenever it comes to it, I'm going to lay down my life for you. So you can trust. I'm not just some hired hand who's trying to lead you to go this way or that. I am, I am in it for, for the long haul. I am in it even if it costs me, when it costs me my life. So, Christ is our shepherd, and do we trust that he will protect us? Do we trust that he won't run away? Do we trust that he is leading us to places that are good for us? So now the other side of the coin. If Christ is my Lord, we must become indifferent. I'm going to use that word. We must become indifferent to the other things fighting for our servitude. Sorry if those are some big words. But if I am a servant of the Lord... If Christ is my Lord, all the other things that are trying to say, no, trust me, you need to care about this. You need to care a lot and give your allegiance to me and become a servant to me. Power, wealth, status, uh, all those different things. They are going to fight for your attention. So we have to become people that are indifferent to those things. I, I smirk a little bit. Every time I think of the word indifferent, uh, whenever I'm watching a sporting event, Landry Joe will come in and she'll say, Daddy, who are we cheering for? And if there's a team that I like, I'll say them. And we, you know, we're not cheering for them. But if I'm just watching a game and I don't care about either team, she'll say, who are we cheering for? And I'll always say, I'm indifferent. And so nowadays she'll come in and she'll say, Daddy, do we care or are we indifferent about these teams? Okay? Because I don't care what happens either way, good or bad. I'm indifferent toward them. So let me read you this quote from a guy named St. Ignatius about indifference. And he's going to say some stuff in here that I think is going to make you kind of go, wait, what? What is he saying? So let's read it slowly. It's two, two different uh, slides that it'll cover. It is necessary to keep as my aim for which I am created... That is the praise of God our Lord. It is necessary for me to keep my focus, to 
Praise God our Lord and the salvation of my soul. Besides this, I am indifferent. Anything that's outside of that, I don't care. Without any inordinate attachment, so that I am not more inclined or disposed to accept the object in question than to relinquish it, nor to give it up than to accept it. I should be like a balance of equilibrium without leaning to either side. He's talking about trying to make a decision. Should I do this or not do this? I should be like a balance. I don't have any care one way or the other aside from my aim to glorify God and, as he says, the salvation of my soul. That I might be ready to follow whatever I perceive is more for the glory and praise of God our Lord and the salvation of my soul. This indifference is this idea that we are in this state of desiring God so much and wanting to serve Him so much as our Lord that anything else that doesn't have to do with that, I am indifferent towards it. So he has this quote, quote, this line where he says, um, someone interpreting this says, I care so much about Christ being my Lord that I am ready and willing to take on anything or give up anything for the cause. And here's the words he says. We don't prefer health to sickness. I am indifferent towards being healthy or towards being sick because neither of those things make an impact on me glorifying God. I am indifferent towards riches or poverty. I am indifferent towards honor or dishonor, a long life or a short one. They all matter the same to me, which is... I'm indifferent towards those things. Now, I can understand you're probably sitting there going, that sounds crazy. Like, every one of us is hardwired to go, yeah, God, I would prefer health to sickness. I would prefer riches to poverty. Part of making Christ our Lord is not only trusting God, but also being willing to say all these other things that are saying, oh, no, you better trust in the stuff that's going to make you healthy. Trust in the stuff that's going to make you wealthy. Trust in the stuff that's going to make you powerful. I'm indifferent towards those things. So that when Christ my Lord says, go, I'm ready. When Christ says, jump, I'm ready. I don't go... But how's that going to impact this? How's that going to impact this? St. John of the Cross, he describes, he describes your heart almost like a monopoly map of real estate. And he says, there are all sorts of things that are trying to vie for those key real estate corners in your heart. And what we have to do is continually root out those things to where we say, I'm indifferent towards those things. So that the only thing left that has real estate in our heart is Jesus. Instead of, oh, well, uh, I still want this. You know, Jesus takes it to the extreme by using an idiom where he says, if you don't hate your father and mother and come after me, this is an extreme. He doesn't want us to hate our parents. But what he's saying is, don't let anything attach you that and when Jesus comes and says, come and follow me, you're like, oh, I can't. I've still got to go bury my parents. Oh, I can't. I've got this. Nope. No attachment. Be completely indifferent to those things so that we're ready to follow Christ as our Lord. And if this, like, like I said, if this sounds crazy to you, good. Because the things that sound crazy to this world are the wisdom to those who follow Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says, The message of the cross is craziness. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who, have been, who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of the world, for since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not know him. 
God was pleased through the foolishness, the craziness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews, they demand signs, and Greeks, they look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, something that makes the Jews stumble, and to the Gentiles it just looks crazy, it looks foolish. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Part of this series, I believe, that's going to be really tough for me and for us is that there's going to be so many things I try and say, you know, with Christ as my Lord, you're not going to care as much about this. And you're going to go, I don't know. That doesn't sound like anything I've ever heard before. It's going to sound foolish to me and to you. And we have to say, well, we've got to be indifferent towards all those things that don't bring glory to God. So my last thing, I want you to imagine that you're all about to start on a wilderness trek. You're all there. You've got your packs on. And instead of there being two guides, there are 20 guides. And they say to you, okay, we are all going to go on journeys, and you can decide who you want to follow. And all of them hope that you're going to choose them. Please choose me. They're going to all have different reasons and motivations why I, you really need to follow me to the summit that I'm going. All of them will take you to different summits, different places. Each view and journey has its own things that will look very enticing and very appealing. And they'll also tell you, hey, by the way, if you want, you can lead yourself. If you would like to figure it out, you can go ahead and you don't need one of us if you want to. Just go ahead and start and you find your own summit. Find your own truth. And I cannot say that your life will be more prosperous if you trust the Jesus guide that's standing there to be your Lord and to be the shepherd that leads you on the path. I actually am pretty confident that you will have a life full of grief and trial. As Jesus says, you will be like lambs to be slaughtered. I feel pretty confident that the other guides are going to lead to some really fun, exhilarating, awesome, exciting places that will leave you empty. But they'll be fun, exhilarating, and exciting for a lot of it. And then they'll leave you empty. However, if we choose Christ in baptism and make Him our Lord, we believe that the summit He is going to lead us to as we deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and die, not very good advertising for picking Him to be your guide, will be the place where you will feel the most hope, contentment, peace, joy, wisdom, love, and wholeness. It may not seem like it, but we will trust and believe that He is worth surrendering to and to letting Him guide us there. And to be indifferent as all the other guides try and convince us why we ought to be following after them. If any of you have any prayer requests, elders are going to be at the doors. And if any of you would like to talk more about what it means to trust Christ to be our Lord and to follow after Him and the grace that comes from that, I'd love to talk with you and other people would too as we stand and sing this song.